Therefore I tell you, says Jesus, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life more, not more than food? Excuse me, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The word of the Lord. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief and the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. In short, the period was so far like the present period that some of its noisiest authorities insisted on its being received for good or for evil in the superlative degree of comparison only. So wrote Charles Dickens in 1859, the opening to his famous book, The Tale of Two Cities, the story of uh, the French Revolution, or right before the French Revolution, the cities being London and France. And Dickens was commenting on the insanity of the time. On one sense, there was progress and the Industrial Revolution and the whole world was before them. And at the same time, there was a madness that was approaching, an evilness that would be uh, unveiled in France with pure anarchy and the guillotine and all of the murder and uh, activity that occurred then. What struck me about what Dickens says here is the fact that all ages are like this. On one sense, there's this uh, notion of goodness and beauty and all is moving in the right direction. And yet at the same time, maybe just beneath the surface, surface, or maybe boiling over, there is a madness, a season of light and a season of darkness, a season of everything and a season of nothing. That might be the way that we want to characterize the age that we live in today, no? depending on which side of the aisle you're on. There's a season of greatness and a season of darkness. And in the midst of this, in the midst of the uncertainty of life, Jesus has these words to say. Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will put on. How are we supposed to live in, in line with Jesus' words as we gaze out and read the newspaper, as we see what's going on around us? How can one find peace in the midst of madness? This is the question. I do believe that true shalom is not when life is functioning perfectly, but rather when you're able to lay your head on your pillow and to sleep in peace when the world is falling around, uh, falling down around you. You see, there's a difference between living and existing. And so that's what we're going to look at today over the next four hours. Jesus asks two particular questions that we have to examine. Number one, is not life more than the body? And the body, excuse me, life more than food and the body more than clothing. And then Jesus invites us to do something, to consider the lilies of the field, an alternative method of life. And finally, he shows us the path to walk if we want to experience true peace. I guess if I wanted to sum up my entire four hours, I would simply say it's this. That when we stop fixating on ourselves and start fixating on God, if we persist in building our own kingdom, we'll only add to our anxiety. But if we focus on building His kingdom, we will only add to our peace. So I want to look at this first point, this first question. Is not life more? Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will put on. Now, whenever there's a therefore, you always have to read what's before the therefore. Jesus finished in Matthew 6, 24, saying, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the Bible, wherever you read the Bible, the Bible always assumes that people have a God. People always worship something. God never says to people, my problem with you is you are not worshiping something. Rather that you are worshiping the wrong thing. You're taking wood and stone and crafting it into something and you're making an idol and you're bowing down before it. The Bible assumes that we have a God. And I would posit to you that life proves that this is true. I mean, why is man not content in himself. Why can't man simply be at peace? Man is always striving, either finding or always striving. But there is not a self-containment to man. There must be a master. So who is your master? It is whatever has mastered you. So we have to do a little bit of a diagnostic. Where do you go? when you're empty, when you need to be filled up? What do you think about when you daydream? What do you habitually think about in order to receive some joy and comfort? I'm not talking once or twice when we think about something. No, it's deeper than that. It's Tim Keller that said, if you want to know what your idol is, don't look at the things that you dream about. Look at the things you have nightmares about. What are the things that you can't live without? That life would end 
Not the things that I like to have, but rather the things that I must have. Jesus here in this verse before this passage starts, says, there are two masters here, God or money. Mammon, which can be translated treasure. Your wealth, whatever it is that you treasure. And there are many different types of treasure, aren't there, on the world. So Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now I find it interesting that Jesus is speaking about the most fundamental elements of life, isn't he? I mean, what's more fundamental than food? The very thing you need to exist or clothes, the very thing that you need in order that you wouldn't uh, freeze to death. We need to think about the culture that people were living in there. I've been to Israel. Hot at night, freezing, uh, hot and during the day, freezing at night. The most fundamental elements. And Jesus says, don't be anxious about them. This word anxious is interesting. We probably, I don't need to define anxiety to anyone. We all know what it's like. But if you look at the Greek, there's a, a good parallel to it. It would be um, striving or intentness. I don't know if you have a dog. We have a dog who's a retriever. And once that ball goes out the window, he is intent on that ball. He will not stop until he finds that ball and goes and gets that ball. He's anxious for that ball, if you will. And so Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so the question I have to ask for you is simply this. Is it? Is life more than food or the body more than clothing? If you were to ask that question of the world, the world would scratch its head and say, no. That really is the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to keep on living. We have food, we get food, why? So we can sustain life because the purpose of life is to prolong existence. Now, very few people starve in America. So, our food, if you will, we have. But when you think of the things we fixate on, why do we exercise? The world would say you exercise so you can stay healthy. Why? So you can keep on living. Why do we have jobs? We have jobs so we can make money. Why? So we can get food. Why? So we can keep on living. But of course, the question becomes, how much is enough? If you look at the obesity rates in America, we continue to stockpile. We continue because the purpose of life is simply to keep on existing. What about clothing? Clothing is your most basic form of shelter, isn't it? Okay, everybody just about has clothes in America, but it continues on. Is not home or house a more sort of, you know, we need a house to have more shelter. Saw this statistic. I thought this was very interesting. I don't know if you could call this up in the back. Um, uh, the, the square footage of houses has doubled in the last 40 years. It's a very interesting. As people, uh, you didn't think you were going to get an economics lesson during the sermon, did you? As the number of people in a house has gone from 3.01 to 2.54, the number of square feet uh, has gone from uh, right over 1,600 to like 2,700. That means the square foot per person has doubled in 40 years. 
So we have to ask the question, well, why do I need double the square foot? Because I need to be sheltered so I can keep on living. But what's the point of living and continuing on to live in when we realize the elephant in the room, which is that we're all going to die. We're all terminal, aren't we? It's sort of a shell game that the world is playing with you where we're fooling ourselves, thinking that somehow we can perpetuate our existence by having more clothes and more food and more house. See, we're trying to make heaven on earth. And Jesus says to us, is not life more? I appreciate what Jesus says here. He didn't say, don't think about your life, what you will eat, or about your body. He said, don't be anxious for it. He's not saying, go live in a, a cave somewhere. He's saying that the issue, people, is that we have a wrong focus. See, when you're living for the wrong things in life, you move from living to existing. And so we have to ask the question, what happened? How did we as a human race created by God, how did we move from living to existing? The answer is simple, we moved out. One of my favorite stories is the story of the prodigal son. A man living in his father's house. A gracious father. But this son no longer wanted to be in his father's house, did he? And so he said to his father while he was still alive, I wish you were dead. Give me what's coming to me. And so the father gave his son what he wanted and his son went off. And he decided instead of living to exist, more clothes, more women, more food. He wanted to live an independent existence. And we all know the, what happened at the very end, right? We find him hiring himself out. Good Jewish boy feeding pigs. Not even being able to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. Why is the United States of America so neurotic? Why is our world so neurotic? Because we've moved out. But what Jesus is saying is you were never meant to live an independent existence. Jesus speaks about your heavenly father in this story. No one ever used those terms. Heavenly Father, and you're in the same sentence. Jesus is saying you were meant to live under his care. But without God, all of our energy goes to existence, not to life. Go ahead and show the next slide. There's a great song that came out a little while ago by the band called Paramore. My kids right now are going, yeah, Dad, he's talking about Paramore. This is a punk rock band. They wrote a song called Ain't It Fine. They're kind of a rock punk band. And it's a story about them. They were in Nashville. This song, Ain't It Fine, by the way, went double platinum. You've probably heard it. Uh, and it's of the story of them moving from Nashville away from their home to L.A. to take it to the next level, to be on their own, if you will. We may actually have, I want to go ahead and show the lyrics. We're going to play like one or two songs of it so you can hear them or see them. It's very dangerous when I do these things to Ron. I don't mind.
Ain't it fun living in the real world? Ain't it good being all alone? Here's the second verse, by the way. Where you're from, you might be the one who's running things. Well, you could ring anyone's bell and get what you want. So you see, it's easy to ignore trouble when you're living in a bubble. So what are you going to do when the world doesn't orbit all around you? And the, uh, the chorus, don't go crying to your mama because there's no crying in the real world. I think it's the picture of humanity, isn't it? We don't want anybody over us. We want to go. We want to do our own thing. We were designed to live with our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus is calling us back. And so I ask you the question, how would you answer? Is not life more than the food, than food and the body more than clothes? What's your focus? Where do you go for purpose? I get in my car and I go to my job. Where do you go for comfort? What's that bottle I uncork at 5 o'clock every night? It's that computer screen I go to. It's that romance novel that I open. See, a life lived without the care of God, the Father, is not living. It's existing. When your focus is self-preservation and self-advancement, you're not living. You're existing. And the other thing is a life without God, the Father, is anxiety-producing. Because you are not designed for it. Some of you who may be here and you're checking out this Christianity thing might say, Carlos, you're crazy. You're saying to put your trust in something I can't see. I'd say, let me tell you what's crazy. Living as if tomorrow will never come. And living as if I can sustain myself forever. Well, this brings me to my second point. Jesus gives us an invitation to consider. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says, go out to the meadow and look at the lilies. You ever spent time looking at a flower, by the way? Every now and then you'll see me crouched down in Trader Joe's like this. It's amazing when you get down close and you see the intricate detail and beauty of a flower. Now a flower doesn't strive. It's not anxious. Because a flower has one purpose and one purpose alone. If it even knew it had a purpose, it has no sentient life. And that's simply this, to glorify God. Remember Jesus as he was walking through the streets of Jerusalem and the people are saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees rebuked them. And you know what Jesus said? If they were to keep quiet, the very stones would cry out. Because nature doesn't worry about itself. It worries about being what it is. And our Heavenly Father takes care of them and gives them life. There's a peace when you go into the forest, isn't there? 
I was got to go, my wife and I, to the Napa Valley, and we went up north and was able to go into one of the, uh, the glades of the um, sequoias. And there is something sacred about it when you walk in and you look up at these trees that have existed for centuries. And there is a quiet peace as they lift their bows to the heaven, their boughs to the heaven. And they worship God. Jesus has considered them. They're not laboring or spinning. And God takes care of them. And nobody, no matter how hard they work, looks like them. It doesn't matter how hard you work. You will never be as beautiful as them if your life is focused on one thing, which is you. But Jesus continues on, doesn't he? Look at the birds of the air. They're not storing. They're not putting away in barns. And yet God watches over them. They're going about their business. And what is their business? To glorify God. And to enjoy Him. I don't see a lot of birds that are, how are you doing today? I'm kind of down. Kind of down. It's been a tough one, right? They simply are. And Jesus is comparing animals to people who are made in their very image. He doesn't say to the lilies and to, uh, to the birds, you are my children and I am your heavenly father. But no, this is the son of the king who has come to us and invites us to consider these things. When I walk, and one of the reasons why I love nature so when I walk into it, I consider a higher life, a different life, maybe just a sense of nostalgia or hope for the life that I was meant to live. I want to read to you another song, not by Paramore, but by a guy named Phil Wickham. He uh, writes this song, You wrote a letter and you signed your name. I read every word, read it page by page. You said that you'd be coming, coming for me soon. Oh my God, I'll be ready for you. I want to run on greener pastures. I want to dance on higher hills. I want to drink from sweeter waters in the misty morning chill. And my soul is getting restless for the place where I belong. I can't wait to join the angels and sing my heaven song. We were made for more than existing. We were made for more than living. So do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For the people who don't know me run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the kicker. Here's what it all boils down to in the end. But seek first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's time to pull it together, Carlos. Sorry. There is a different world that is here now. 
and that we will see in its finality. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm in charge right now. Right here. Where is Christ? He's here. I can't see him. Doesn't mean he's not here. The promise of God is that I will be your father. And I have a higher goal and a higher life. A higher plan for you. What does it mean, the kingdom of God? I think the kingdom of God right now is more a rule than a realm. Right? The kingdom of God is where Jesus is the king. The kingdom of God is the final kingdom that will come. When I seek after that kingdom, when I take my desires and my passions and I shift them to his desires and his passions, when I stop thinking about existing in self-perpetuation and I think about glorifying and honoring him and ushering in his kingdom and being right with him instead of with the world, something begins to happen. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How Jesus was so distressed at the world as he saw people running after scraps instead of running on greener pastures and dancing on higher hills. So I guess we have a choice in the end to build our kingdom or to seek his. To throw everything that the world would say away in the sense of our heart that we might fix our hearts on him. And what Jesus promises us is we will experience the thing that we're looking for all along. Not self-perpetuation, but peace. The peace of doing what we're designed to do. The peace of the lilies. The peace of the birds. The peace of the children of God. So stop fixating on yourself. Fixate on God. Because if you persist in building your kingdom, you will only add to your anxiety. And you will get to the end of your life and all you will have is a pile of ashes. But if you focus on building his kingdom, brick by brick, when it finally comes, you will say, that's home. That's what I've been working for. Well done, will say God. You chose wisely. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you came to give us more to life than simply existing. Lord, help us stop chasing after that which never satisfies, the food which never fills, the clothing which never covers. And let us instead seek you, our Father. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come in this world and in mine. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.